0: from Proverbs, uh, starting in chapter 11, and then moving to chapter 31. Chapter 11, verse 22, like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. So, we're going to continue from that. We won't stop there. Uh, <laughs> chapter 31, verse 10, an excellent wife who can find, she's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain She does some good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. Please pray with me. Holy Father, we come to you uh, as people that are confused about this subject, uh, with all kinds of competing voices, and even tonight, Lord, we can't say all that needs to be said. And yet, Lord, we pray that you be gracious, Lord, to uh, show us clearly from your word not only what kind of God you are, but uh, what you desire uh for one young women to be like uh grant lord me grace and uh compassion and uh grant our young ladies lord open hearts uh to hear probably what might be some hard correction maybe some wonderful encouragement and comfort uh instruct them in as well and uh lord challenge us with uh, the ways you call us and encourage us as well we pray these things in your name amen So uh, it was the, I'm thinking it was probably the first day of class my sophomore year, if I remember correctly. If it wasn't the first day, it was the second day. I had just changed majors. I declared my major the last day of my freshman year. And over the summer, I changed my mind. And the first day of my second year, I changed my major. And so I found myself in a new major, and in particular, the introductory class of this new major, which was social work for me. And uh, social work at most universities is a predominantly... um, feminine attended major. That's not a sexist generalization. It's a reality. I graduated with 13 women. Uh, I was the only male. And uh, that first day, uh, as we went around the class, the the question was posed simply, why are you in social work? And this was a large class. And uh, there were all kinds of answers ranging from, uh, uh, well, the realistic, like I want to work there and help these people to the idealistic. I want to solve world hunger uh, or something like that. And then just People like me that were just plain confused. I don't really know why, but I hope to do something with this to help some people sometime maybe. Uh, and that was all. I mean, social workers by nature are pretty generous and helpful, and they were gracious. Until one young lady uh, spoke up. It was her turn. And when they asked, you know, what do you want to do with your degree? She said, "Really, what I really want to do is get married and have babies and be a mom." Now, I uh, I grew up with three younger sisters. And I'm used to some pretty tense verbal battles. But I was not prepared for this. Um, And that's when I learned a very valuable lesson. That uh, not only does our society have very strong opinions about what women should be like, women have very strong opinions about what women should be like. And uh, I didn't know a whole lot. I learned a lot more over the next couple of years uh, about what our culture expects of women and what women expect of women. I was wise enough at the time. Keep my mouth shut <laughs> and my head down in a self protective manner. Um, ladies, this is a hard subject for lots of reasons. And, and one simple reason is there's a plurality, a cacophony of voices telling you what you should be. Some of them are traditional cultural values or religious values, uh, some of them are po- modern or postmodern values. You can do and be whatever you want. Some of them are, are peer values, uh, your sorority sisters or your fellow classmates who have trained hard and they expect you to toe the line and to settle for nothing less than all this world offers in success. Uh, somewhere in there, there are probably your own expectations uh, if you're able to actually find them since you're probably swimming in everyone else's expectations. And uh, you may have fam- familial expectations, and then there are biblical expectations uh, if, you, if you care to hear what they are. And so it's hard. Sometimes it's just chaos trying to figure out what all these things mean and how they fit together, especially sometimes because they're conflicting. And uh, because that's the case, what I'm going to try to do, ladies, today is uh, make the argument that due to this overwhelming cacophony of voices, this plurality of voices telling you what you must do or be to be a woman, I'm going to argue you must make it your top priority to get a heart of wisdom, that you must seek wisdom. Uh, Given all these expectations, ladies, that are put on you, um, all these competing voices and expectations for what you're supposed to be, what often ends up happening is you try to tether these things together, try to hold the strings together, and you end up being disjointed, uh, disintegrated, uh, an angry, sometimes bitter mixture of confusion and paradox uh, because you feel like you have to be everything. And uh, I'm not saying you can't be everything, I will make the argument later that uh, it's really hard. But you must make it your first priority to seek a heart of wisdom. And so tonight we're going to talk about what is wisdom. We're doing it in a good place. Proverbs is about wisdom. And then secondly, I'll ask uh, why. Why wisdom? Why should we seek wisdom? So the first question is, what is wisdom? Wow, got it all up there. That's impressive. Um, and we'll start in verse 30. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Uh, wisdom begins here at the end of verse 30 with the fear of the Lord. And uh, that might be a strange place to begin because it's literally the end of the book. But it ends where it begins. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, we read, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And uh, the word fear here is not something that's just applied to you, women, uh, as though you're supposed to live in abject fear and terror. Uh, Instead, uh, what's hinted at here, it's implied here, is a reverential relationship with a living God. Uh, It's a respectful uh, relationship with God as he's revealed himself. And uh, it sort of manifested, its functional operating uh, system, if you will, is dependence and trust. Uh, And we see this in chapter 3. I know you don't have it. I can't do it. But um, in chapter 3, we read, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And in verse 7, Be not wise in your own eyes. So what is wisdom? Well, the heart of wisdom is a relationship with with the Lord that is marked by deep dependence and trust. The heart of wisdom, the the very root of wisdom, uh, is a relationship with the Lord that's marked by a uh, functional reliance on the living God. Uh, It's marked also by a healthy distrust of yourself. We don't like that message. Um, But we, we know ourselves enough to know that we're not altogether trustworthy. And we turn to God who's revealed himself as good, and we trust in him. That is the crux, the heart, the beginning of wisdom. And that heart of wisdom produces in those who pursue it, who latch onto it, a wise heart. So the the very nature of wisdom, if you grab onto it, it it makes you wise. It becomes a reality in your life. And we see this in verse 26. Verse 26, we read. That's the wrong chapter. Rock badgers. Uh, Verse 26. um, She opens her mouth with wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Uh, Those... People, those women that pursue wisdom, that trust in the Lord, uh, become marked by wisdom, so much so that when they open their mouth, wisdom comes out. It's uh, so deeply ingrained in who they are, so, so deeply uh, fills their heart that it uh, flows out of them, if you will. From the heart, the mouth speaks. And it's characterized, in verse 26, by kindness. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. That's a very interesting word, that word kind. I'm from the South, where everyone's nice. And if you're not nice, you're probably a criminal. Um, that's probably true, actually. So everyone's pretty nice there. And I, but I learned really on that there's a difference between nice and kind. And, and the, this serves us right here, too. This word kind is not just a generally nice, bubbly person. Uh, this word kind here is far more than that. In fact, it's a, it's a word and the adjective often used to describe God. It's the Hebrew word hesed. And it means loving kindness, loyalty, mercy. It's this rich, deep word. And earlier in Proverbs, God tells those that want to be wise, bind loving kindness around your neck. Uh, Remember what God is like. And those that pursue wisdom are marked by it. And they're marked by this kind of love. Uh, Ladies, if you pursue a heart of wisdom, you will speak wisdom. And you will speak kindness and love and mercy. You'll be marked by godly character. You'll find this uh, godly character, this kindness, wisdom, working itself out in your life, in the way you speak, and in the way you work. The heart of wisdom produces a wise heart and willing hands. Let's see it in verse 13. In verse 13, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She doesn't work begrudgingly. She works gladly. This is important because we're going to go on and see all that this woman does, and it's completely overwhelming. Unless you see and understand, she does it willingly, she does it skillfully, and she does it wisely. The wisdom in her heart produces such character and volition to work. She does this gladly and skillfully. And it produces not only prodigious hands that uh, do all this wonderful stuff that we'll look at, it produces hands that are quick to help Verses 19 and 20. She puts her hands at the distaff. She puts her hands to the spindle. We got it. She works. Uh, verse 20. She opens her hands to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. Uh, this is not just a handout from some rich uh, benefactor who throws a can of soup on the door for the Boy Scouts. Um, instead, she marks, she, she represents God's own mercy to the poor. She doesn't just offer a handout. She offers her hand. She is willing to give of herself her time and resources to those in need. Uh, We'll read about this lady. She's remarkable. She's economical. Um, She's probably wealthy. And yet she willingly gives of her time and resources for the good of the poor. She is like God. She is generous with her time. She's wise. She's loving. Uh, Quick question for you. Unless you shop at a different grocery store than mine, what are the magazines most often lining the aisles at checkout? People, mademoiselle, whatever. Almost nothing marketed toward men, unfortunately. Um, And what are they full of? And I'm not bashing those magazines. I am a little bit. You just don't see the Atlantic Monthly and the Economist there. Um, Which is too bad, because I'd read those. All waiting there. Um, They're chock full of sex, romance, scandal, and wisdom. or what seems to be wisdom? And you just read the character, you know, just read the titles on the cover and you get it. Five tips for seven ways to. This is wisdom. And they're marketing this because they know, ladies and men too, you need this. You want this. You long for this. You know you don't know everything you need to get by in life. And so you're always looking for something to help you a little bit more. Five ways to do this? That sounds great. Five ways to make the man of my love fall deeply in nobody. Okay, that sounds great. And so we're all longing for wisdom, know-how, skill, but we're, we're gaining it piecemeal. A little bit here, a little bit there. Sort of the chicken soup for the soul approach. I'll take a, throw it all in the blender, and mix it up, and hope I turn out pretty wise. And uh, that's not the way we grow wise. That's not the way you become wise. Um, ladies, with all that you're seeking in life, this is not true of all women, but if you're at this university and it's a good school, uh, you're seeking a lot, probably. You're seeking long-term success, respect. You're seeking friendship. You're seeking, probably, companionship. Maybe not at this moment, but, you know, you wouldn't mind if it came along. Uh, you're seeking calling. You're seeking clarity. You're seeking happiness. You're seeking peace. Are you seeking wisdom? Are you striving after wisdom? Are you seeking to become a person marked by God's own wisdom, Or are you simply just hoping you're going to catch it from the atmosphere? A little bit here, a little bit there, mixed in with mom's common sense. are you pursuing it actively? Uh, This whole book, Proverbs, is about seeking wisdom. You just don't catch this thing like a cold. You have to want it. But God also promises elsewhere that if you want it and you ask for it and you pursue it, uh, it is yours to be had. And it's yours to be had because Jesus himself came and manifested itself Uh, There's a couple ways to get wise. Very simple. Study the scripture. Uh, Pursue Jesus, the embodiment of wisdom. Get to know him. And uh, thirdly, pursue other godly women. Uh, Get to know them. Uh, You're not going to piece this. You're not going to conquer wisdom like you would an undergraduate curriculum, graduating from 101 to 202 to 303. Instead, as you study it, as you study the person of God and the person of Jesus, you find yourself becoming more and more like him your heart, your character becoming more and more like his own. So we're going to turn now from discussing what wisdom is to why you should seek it. So to summarize, uh, wisdom is the art of skillful living, godly living. Its heart is fearing God. It's based on a vital relationship. It transforms you from the inside out. It makes you a different kind of person, like God, productive, prodigious, merciful, loving. Um. But why wisdom? Some other reasons. And uh, warning here, ladies, some of you might just, uh, one girl's not here, so I know she won't attack me later. Uh, I'm going to use the protect word here. And I don't mean, when I say protect, that uh, you need to be sheltered because you're some poor, frail, weak creature that can't fend for yourself or can't make decisions on your own. Uh, I'm not insinuating your weakness. Uh, But I am going to use the word protect because I think it's exactly what you need. And I'm not saying guys don't need to be protected, too. We're idiots. We need all kinds of protection. Um, you need to be protected from your overwhelming expectations. Uh, ladies, you need to be protected from overwhelming expectations. This, this parable, this uh, proverb, this whole chapter is about an excellent wife or an excellent woman. And it's really easy uh, for some of you who have been excellent all your lives at everything you've done. Uh, to look at this list and be completely overwhelmed. Some of you may look at the list and say, I can do that. Maybe you can. A lot of you may look at this list and say, I can't even begin to imagine what that would be like. So just to march through it uh, in verse 14, uh, like the ships of the merchant, she brings her food from afar. She's entrepreneurial. Verse 15, a tireless worker and administrator of many. Verse 16, she buys a field she plants a vineyard. She's entrepreneurial. She's resourceful. She's got business initiative. Verse 17. She dresses herself with strength. She's strong. I mean, she's strong, she's strong. She's really strong. I mean, it says it twice. Um, verses 18 and 19. She perceives her merchandise as profitable. Okay, I've done this and it's profitable. So what does she do? She goes back to work. In verse 18. She uh, works at night and she takes up another business. In verse 19. Uh, Verses 21 and 22, she provides security and luxury for her family. Verse 25, she is marked by strength and dignity. She is fearless. She laughs at the time to come. And there's other things here I could pick up and say. She's a remarkable lady. It's wonderful. And I'm I'm going to do two things here, ladies. Uh, Should you strive to be like this woman? Absolutely. And at the same time, if you go about it the wrong way, this will crush you. Uh, you've been told all your life long you can do everything or anything. And you can't really do any everything or anything. but pretty close, closer than ever before in human history. Uh, but just your cultural context is something like this, that you should be able to balance a successful career of advancement, a handsome but somewhat clueless husband. A This is the way a culture presents the male-female relationship. If you're the super competent alpha female, you married a very handsome buffoon. Um, <laughs> A growing family, friendships, your household, and all the time. All the time you're doing that, you should look great. All the time. That's our cultural context and its expectation for you, if you've noticed. That's what the world expects you to be like. That is overwhelming. Now, I I know a few folks that can pull that off without severe mental illness or medication. Um, Last year I talked about this thing called the death race. Some of y'all may remember that. Uh, One competitor uh, named Stephanie Bishop, she's a successful Wall Street executive, she finished sixth. Ninety percent of these uh, participants, they're all like former Army, Ironman, triathletes, ninety percent don't finish the race. She finished sixth, and she was angry she didn't win. And she intends to come back and win next year. And by the way, she's beautiful. So, um, you know, there are Stephanie Bishops in the world, but there are few and, uh, and on the website uh, for the death race, it's a friendly little reminder. This kind of race will kill you. I mean, if, if you try to do everything, uh, there are exceptional individuals, but if you try to do everything and you think doing everything is the norm, if being everything is the norm, it will kill you. And, ladies, some of you are literally uh, killing yourselves. Um, you're wearing yourself thin. You're trying to do everything. You're trying to be everything for everyone. You're trying to hold the pieces together. And deep down inside, you feel like it's coming apart. And sometimes you don't even, wonder, you don't even really know who you are because you're trying to be everything for everyone. Well, it, wisdom protects us from overwhelming expectations because it reminds us that this whole thing, this woman, becomes all these things because she made the fear of the Lord her first priority out of the overflow of wisdom in her heart and her relationship with the Lord, she became these things. She grew into these things. And ladies, if you feel like, you know, this is what you're called to be, fine. You're allowed to grow into this. God is good and patient with you. And He will produce in you skill and competency and love in this good time. So wisdom protects you from overwhelming expectations and wisdom protects you from Deforming externalism. I wish I could find some other way to say it. Okay, I got another way to say it. Wisdom protects you from being ugly. And I don't mean as our world prizes ugliness, but as this text says it in verse 30. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. Ladies, it doesn't last forever. And um, I almost said we. Because it's sort of true of guys, too. I'll say we. I identify with you, ladies. Um, um, there's two ways in which we're really striving uh, to hold together this perfect external picture. Uh, one is uh, the perfect woman resume. We're, we're forming the successful, excellent woman as a sum total of all these different parts and callings that we're called to be. And we think if we do all these things and stuff it together, it'll stick. Or deep down we may not be the mature person that has it all together like it seems like we are, and it's going to fall apart. This is the uh, bionic woman version. Uh, are you really what you are, or are you something else? You're just trying to hold all these things together. You're adorning yourself with accomplishments, uh, but are you really a mature woman? Are you really beautiful on the inside? And um, you know, that that harsh first right grade at the beginning in 1122, that a beautiful woman without wisdom or uh, is like a like a ring, gold ring, and a pixie snout as a beautiful woman without discretion. Um, it's a harsh, harsh phrase, harsher than we would say. Uh, but what it's saying is, it shouldn't be this way. It's 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 a it's a gross, monstrous miscarriage that someone blessed with beauty would not also be beautiful on the inside. And uh, it's not only because it's it's not because it's bad to be beautiful on the outside. Um, it's that God desires everyone uh, to be beautiful on the inside. And uh, our tendency in our culture is uh, to use and exploit external beauty. And what's different in the last, well, it's been this case for a long time, it's even more case now that uh, women, you've learned how to exploit your beauty for your own benefit as well. Um, the belief that your external appearance or, beautiful, or beauty is the most important determining factor of womanhood the deep-rooted belief in your heart and in our culture that your external beauty is the most important facet of your womanhood uh, will kill you. It will paralyze you. It does not stick forever. It's a wonderful gift. It doesn't last forever. Um, Groundbreaking work written in the early 1990s by Naomi Wolf, um, a feminist called The Beauty Myth. Women, I suggest you all read it. She She rewrote parts of it in 2002. She writes in the first couple pages of that book, the more legal and material hindrances that women have broken through, she's writing in the 80s and early 90s, the more strictly and heavily and cruelly images of female beauty have come to weigh upon us. At the same time we're achieving more and more freedom and prestige and power and access, we're having heavier and heavier and more unrealistic expectations of beauty placed upon us. During the past few decades, women have breached the power structure. Meanwhile, eating disorders have rose exponentially. Cosmetic surgeries become the fastest growing specialty. Pornographies became the main media category ahead of legitimate films and records combined. And recently, 33,000 women told researchers they'd rather lose 10 pounds than achieve any other goal. More women have more money, and power, and scope, and legal recognition than they've ever had before. But in terms of how we actually feel about ourselves, we may actually be worse off than our grandmothers. Um, Maybe you don't feel that way. But some of you do. The whole world is laid out before you. You can do almost anything. Yet our culture has placed on you this impossible standard of external beauty. Uh, And if you buy into that myth that it's the most important thing, uh, you will use it and exploit it for your own advantage, and you will be used and exploited for it as well. Again, if you're beautiful, thank God. But strive for a heart of wisdom and an internal beauty that matches it. And some of you, frankly, are killing yourselves trying to achieve this impossible standard. You're not eating enough. You know you're not eating enough. Maybe you haven't been eating enough since you were 12. You need to talk to someone. Um, You've let, frankly a pornographic culture dictate to you what beauty is. A culture that uses women. You've allowed that culture to dictate to you what beauty is. And, and you should not uh, stand for it. You should not. Uh, listen to your mommy and your daddy who tell you that you're beautiful. Uh, find a guy uh, who will tell you that you're beautiful. Uh, not because he wants to, to get in your pants. Because he really means it. Because he thinks that you're a beautiful person. Um, And we see, lastly, that wisdom, uh, which protects us from overwhelming expectations and deforming externalism, it produces in us a surpassing beauty. This is just sort of a summary of all I've been saying the whole time. In verses 10 and 11, we read that this uh, woman is excellent. She has a surpassing worth or value, far more precious than jewels. And you may be thinking, oh, this... Chauvinistic text is just treating women like some other object. What else can you compare it to? I mean, taking the most valuable thing you can imagine and saying she's more valuable than anything I can imagine. And she's altogether trustworthy. She is a, a woman so good, so godly, so faithful, and by faithful I mean deserving of trust, so competent, so skillful that her husband trusts everything to her. Uh, it's a woman marked by maturity and skill and faithfulness and ability, that her husband trusts her like he trusts himself, maybe even more so. It's uh, she's a remarkable woman, and um, we find in the end that this woman of surpassing beauty is praised as that. In verse twenty-nine, uh, verse twenty-eight, her children rise up and call her blessed. In verse thirty-one. Uh, the fruit of her hands, her works, praise her. In other words, the world, the culture that benefits from her works, that see it, they rise up and say, she is a remarkable person. But also her husband says in verse 29, uh, "This, okay, I'm not a woman. But I can only imagine what it would be like to hear this from your husband or someone that loves you. Many women have done excellently. You surpass them all. You are of all women. Uh, the greatest, the most beautiful, the most excellent. And he means it. He means it. Uh, ladies, um, I don't have any wonderful pity story like I did last week. I don't. Um, I, I have sort of a broken heart for you. Um, um, I don't know why. I, I think I. I'm sympathetic. No doubt I'm part of the uh, male, long, male-dominated culture that put these unfair expectations on you. Perhaps it's male guilt. I don't know. Uh, but I long for you to experience the freedom that this kind of wisdom will produce in your life. Uh, set free from the tyranny of these expectations, you are free to pursue wisdom that will actually produce in you this kind of excellence and surpassing beauty. How do you get it? You don't get it on your own. Uh, pursue Jesus, the man of excellence, who uh, sees you. He sees you in your charm. He sees you in your vanity. He sees you in your efforts t- to win esteem. He sees you, perhaps, in your anger at this culture. They expect so much of you, maybe even mistreats women. He knows all those things. Uh, he experienced some of those things himself. He knows what injustice is like. He knows everything about you. He, he knows perhaps your tendency to use your beauty uh, wrongly for your advantage. Uh, he knows the longing of your heart uh, to be a better person, to be a person well-loved and esteemed. And he who knows you perfectly well uh, pursues you, lays down his life for you, uh, that you might become this kind of wonderful, beautiful person uh, for his glory and for the good of others. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we thank you that uh, you're a good father to your daughters, that you sent a son to lay down his life for them, that uh, women are by no means second-class citizens in this family, well-loved, just as broken as every man It's broken a little differently. And uh, you, Jesus, uh, you love your sisters well. You laid down your life for them. Uh, Be gracious, Lord, uh, to work a great work of healing in their hearts. Uh, Lord, help them to pursue wisdom. Help us as brothers to encourage them, to support them, uh, to love them well. Help them as sisters to love one another well, to encourage one another. To share what's on their hearts. Help them to be free, Lord, from the tyranny of a thousand different expectations being placed upon them. Uh, help them to strive for excellence. Help them to feel free to do so. But to make part wisdom, uh, a real vital, trusting relationship with you, the living God, their top priority. I pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.